0: Listening to the Dr. Claude Kirchner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirchner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. human systems dynamics, especially with the changes that we are experiencing today in our, in our society, is such a great topic. And what we did is we talked to a lady named Royce Halliday, who is the sister of the founder of the theory of human system dynamics and works with the Human System Dynamic Institute. Uh, but at first, what I do is I kind of set up the theory and what it is, why it's important, and why we should consider this something to practice within our leadership and within our organization, and then we transition to the interview with Royce Holliday, and we listen to some of the wisdom that she has to offer us uh, through that interview. So, hope you enjoy, and thank you.
1: The realization that the way to respond in these in any times of when it's so unpredictable is to, to build what we call adaptive capacity. The ability to take in what's going on, a sense of how do I make decisions around these things, and then taking action.
0: and we're talking about change methods today. And I chose the human systems dynamics, which is an adaptable method. And the adaptable method is a great category that I believe needs to be taken into consideration when we're talking about humans. So let's get started. So what is the adaptable method? Uh, This particular approach, the human systems dynamic approach is a part of a complex adaptable system. And when we're talking about systems and organizations, uh, we're talking about complexity because we're dealing with people. So we always have to keep that in the back of our mind. Uh, Adapt method. It kind of speaks for itself. It's used for a variety of purposes in organizations or communities, including planning, structuring, and improving. There's really not one particular way of doing things. It has a lot to do with the assessment. Uh, This group uses principles and practices that adapt to varying communities and organizational needs. Uh, It's a a community of scholars and um, consultants and practitioners and people that are just interested in the subject matter. This HSD offers powerful theory and practice to transform intractable problems into patterns of possibility. Human systems dynamic, HSD, is an inquiry-based problem-solving process, the paradigm for an emerging future, its complexity science made useful, models of methods for complex change and path to personal transformation. Uh, It had a lot to do with human beings and the systems that they've created. HSD associates have emerged as powerful forces for change. The emerging field of human systems dynamics integrates perspectives of complex adaptive systems and other non-linear sciences with traditional social sciences to articulate the complex dynamics that shape self-organizing patterns in social systems at all levels, intrapersonal, interpersonal, within small groups, organizations, and communities. It's an open systems approach. So why use it? The, the change aspects of organizations when it involves people is not always uh, simple. Sometimes it's complex, as we discussed. So we want to use a systems-based approach to investigate behavior in a complex system. Organizations and communities around the world, um, they can't just change with one existing service or one existing consultant. It, it, it's a little bit more detailed than that. Human systems are unpredictable and complex. We all know that. Complex environments create sticky problems. Change makes yesterday's answers irrelevant today. So things are always changing. And this HSD approach incorporates those changes. Who um, can benefit from this particular change method approach? Uh, Private industry, government, nonprofits, and communities, a lot of different uh, organizations can benefit from this particular approach. Uh, teaching and learning, business and industry, healthcare, government, philanthropy, organizations all can benefit. Uh, when is it best to use this? It's, it's, there's a plethora of different dynamics within business, uh, aspects of business that you can use this approach with. Leadership, team building, large group decision making, human resource management, marketing and communications, training, strategic planning, and facilitation. I garnered out some other aspects of use for this particular uh, change method. Uh, When people are leading in complexity, which is hopefully all leaders in some way or another, Uh, manage strategic change, uh, building adaptive capacity and collaborate to create community, uh, plan in uncertainty. So there's a lot of issues that you could use this change method approach for the premise of it is that when you put people together in groups that they have these self-organizing patterns and sometimes those self-organizing patterns can be unhealthy they can't, they won't be mission focused they will create some toxicity within the business environment and that's where this complexity comes into play and that's what this model does is it kind of it strains out some of that complexity so we're asking lots of questions it's a very dynamic question asking needs assessment approach Exchange. Exchange connects individuals or groups to each other across their differences. We ask, what are the connections that need to inform the new patterns? Remember, we're looking for these patterns of these self organizing tendencies so that we can call them out, we can see them, and we can either encourage them or we could uh, discourage them. The natural self organizing processes of human systems ensure that they will always be surprising, which is true. In each situation, we explore opportunities to shift the underlying conditions to encourage new and more productive patterns across the system as a whole. So how are organizations using HSD? Uh, organizations that are, are people bound or are um, complex in nature with a lot of organizational behavior dynamics, with a lot of interpersonal dynamics. An HSD assessment tracks changes at individual group departmental and organizational levels simultaneously and considers how each of these levels influences one another. So it looks at everything. Uh, build success for yourself and others develop people and processes that improve outcomes, stay connected, learn your way into a shared future. These are many reasons why and how organizations are using this HSD. Patterns were captured at all levels, help the individuals be conscious of their own behavior. This particular... Uh, change method, adaptable method, is a is a great one. I I garnered a lot of wisdom from it. I'm going to apply some of it here in my own organization. It really um, helps me feel at peace knowing that the human behaviors within organizations, within departments, um, can be very complex. But there is an answer to it. Uh, to at least try to understand it. The reality is there are interventions that you can do to progressively make some of these changes because these self organizing tendencies are going to happen. And when they happen. We have to see them. We have to see the patterns and we have to try our best to control the dynamics of that self-organizing. Now we turn to Royce Holliday, the Director of Services at the Human Systems Dynamic Institute, to tell us more.
1: What's going to happen with the new administration? What's going to happen with health? What's going to happen economically? What does that mean to all of us? One of the things that we talked about was you can't, cannot let me underline cannot deal with all of it at one time and although we feel like we're supposed to and um I say to myself oh what if Glenda my sister whom I work with who started the field what if I disappoint her and so I try to do everything and end up doing nothing very well and of course that's frustrating to her because it gets in the way of her work as well when the truth is that when I when I get the courage and figure out the permission to say, Glenda, I can do this much and I can do this, but I need to put that on hold. And kind of the secret to that is just saying, what's the next thing that I can do? What is what is one thing I can do in this instant? The rest of it's still there, but I can't think of it all at once. If I can do this one next thing next, then I'll pick the next thing after that. And giving each other some slack to be able to do that
0: we have certain individuals within our organization that consistently place additional expectations on our plate, not only internally, but our customers as well. My, my question is change doesn't just come from our own choices. It comes from other factors around us. How do we deal with the change that other people are placing into our lives, our bosses, and maybe our significant others?
1: On one level at work with your customers, I'm guessing that you start with kind of a contract, an agreement, set of agreements with your customers about what you're gonna do, what materials you're gonna use, when you're gonna finish the job, who's gonna be at their house working, all of that. If you kind of translate that to the people you work with, to your home, what are the agreements you have about work? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or anything, but think to yourself, do I have permission from the people I work with to say, wait a minute, I've got to take a breath here. Here's the next thing I can do. Can you grant each other that permission? At home, how do you negotiate that permission to be able to say, okay folks, right now this is all I can handle. I can't do it all. The ability to kind of negotiate that and to grant each other that kind of patience is, feels overwhelming if you've never done it But if you just try it with one or two people, you'll find that it becomes a more natural conversation. And it's not saying I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. It's saying I have to prioritize and help me think which one is more important in this moment, or here's what I think is most important. Can you support me in that? And giving each other permission to do that.
0: Well, that's good. But obviously it can be a challenge. Like you said, if we've never done it before Mm -hmm. and then, how do we as bosses, as leaders for the people that are subordinate to our leadership, how do we get them to, I guess, perform at a higher level, but also do it within a, a compassionate perspective?
1: One of the things that we look at in our work uh, is patterns, patterns of how do we work together, patterns of what's going on. And those patterns don't come from to us from on high. You know, it's not somebody else who imposes those patterns on us the patterns emerge from how we interact with each other. We are complex systems. And so the ways that we interact and if we interact in ways that cut each other slack or that hold each other to high standards, then those are the patterns that then begin to reinforce the actions of, of everybody in the system. As leaders, if you can set a pattern that is what can get done today, what can I focus on today? And how can I do that to high standards? And sometimes it's just the act of saying, this is the thing that's most important, allows them to do enough letting go or or being um, more honest about what they can do in this moment. And then as leaders, it's your job to say, okay, if that's what you're gonna do, how can I support you or here are the standards? Um, That's another question. As an organization in your homes, do you have agreements about what what's the standard of work you want and what's acceptable and what are the emotional job related rewards for that even if there's not a bonus at the end of every job or what are the consequences for that our customers aren't happy you let the rest of the team down you're not living up to your part of the agreements and and, and having those conversations not in ways that are blaming but just in ways that state the facts you know just the facts ma'am had this agreement here's what happened here's what didn't happen what can we do next time to change that dynamic and that works at home and it works at work and it works in your community but it's not easy and um, i've been doing this work for about 25 years and i still forget that sometimes and i still keep trying to do it all but um what i find is when i can remember it or when Glenda and I have even gotten to the point where we can gently remind each other, this is the agreement, what is our agreement, what, what, what are you doing? How, how's that agreement working for you, boys? right? And it starts with y'all talking to each other in these ways. You set the pattern in the organization. And so how do you give each other that kind of slack? How do you have these conversations? And It sounds like this traction group is a place where that starts, But it also needs to have some agreements about giving each other feedback when you're not seeing the agreement and supporting each other, not blaming. Now you really screwed that one up, didn't you? No. It is. So what didn't go well and how, how can we do it differently? And it's practice. You have to practice these things.
0: Feeling safe in those conversations is so important. I mean, a lot of people deal with this, but we have, um, money is involved in some of these conversations and deals with i want to say three different dynamics and i think a lot of people on this call can relate he has the internal our team dynamics within his initial team then he has his dynamics with his subcontractors people that necessarily aren't on his team but that we contract to do work that's obviously an interesting conversation and then he has the dynamics with the contracted clients of expectations that we need to perform Obviously, there's three different social systems going on there. Can you, and and to relate this to some other people on the call, you know, it's the same thing with landscape, with the clients, internal team, subcontractors, with pool techs, Um, it's probably more internal team and client, really two groups. Can you walk us through maybe those three groups and some of the complexities that could be involved in trying to be a part of those dynamics? and also can can you hopefully reassure some people on our team that like you know it's it, this is a very complex thing you're doing and you're never going to get it right kind of thing
1: yeah the first thing to remember is you're never going to get it right because right changes what 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 we talk about is not doing it right but finding the best fit in this instance what works the best for the part the whole and the greater whole so and this happens at home. At home, you've got the community dynamic. you've got your dynamic with your significant other or with uh, children who may be involved, or your older parents, um, brothers and sisters. Those systems, those different parts uh, have to be you got to find a way to balance. And because say you are the common thread between and among the three, how do you set the patterns that you want to see happen with each group and it needs to be consistent having a pattern with your subcontractors where you want high quality how uh, performance best quality using that to guide the high quality best performance you want for your customer and your client and high quality best performance is what you want from your internal team and so how do you define that in all three places and Um, there's a, a thing that's called simple rules and it's your values basically put into action and your decisions that you make in those three places are much easier to make if you're consciously thinking about so what is it that our organization values what is it our family values when you're at home with these dynamics because the the thing to remember is that dynamic systems dynamical systems these complex systems change constantly day to day to day from moment to moment you're dealing with different forces you're dealing with different people you're dealing with different lots of differences in the system and the question is how do you navigate those differences if you don't have a shared core then what happens is you you're all over the place it's just scattershot and you're all surprised by each other all the time and frustrated as you can be But if all of you have that shared core and you have conversations about what that shared core, now, Claude, told me y'all have a a set of values as an ordinance. And what we often recommend is to, to make those active. So rather than saying we believe that people are the most important thing, say we treat people as the most important thing. That's a verb. Treat people as the most important thing. And it just moves it into action. But then what does that mean in each situation? And how do you have those conversations so that y'all are in agreement about what that is? So just before this call, uh, I was working on a document. We have a uh, two new board members, and we have a set of simple rules. And I'm planning the orientation for these new board members. And we're having a conversation. Their first conversation with the, with their fellow board members next week is talking about what are our agreements, what are our simple rules. And it's something we come back to throughout their term. Uh, every time we have a de- decision to make, we say, how does this decision reflect who we are as an organization? When I make a decision for work, my conversation with y'all today is guided by the decisions that we have as agreements for work. After we finish talking, next time I talk to Claude, I'm going to go back through and say, okay, here's some things that were important to me. Did did, did you get this sense from me from the conversation? Did What was the impact? of my conversation and all of that takes practice and it takes time i i would not expect that whatever however these things happen with y'all now is not going to change just because we had this phone call it takes some conscious effort it's work it's like if you always bit your fingernails it takes it takes effort to quit biting your fingernails. anybody out here ever quit smoking that's hard work I, I it was way too much work i didn't want to deal with for 15 years and finally dealt with it and now I haven't been a smoker for almost 12 years but I still remember how hard it was although the world is changing all the time the patterns that we have to deal with that change don't shift instantaneously it takes some effort and it takes you supporting each other in that change it's not Claude's job to make every one of you change and it's not your job to make all the people who report to you change your job is to set a pattern And then provide feedback to each other and to your employees about that pattern that you want.
0: When you think about the values and the decisions, we we unfortunately are a pool and landscape company. And the values of the people who we contract with clash with our values, meaning they treat us sometimes as if we're just indentured servants. And we have to do exactly what they say, and we have to do it right now, fast and cheap their values conflict with ours and they, they take their, their issues and put them onto us. And not only do they put them onto us, and I speak from maybe a contractor perspective, but also a service perspective, they do it in a manner that's very demeaning and disrespectful. So how do we then, you know, we can't enforce our values in that conversation. So how do we deal with conflicting values when it comes to our clients sometimes?
1: You can't inflict your, inflict your values on them. I, you're right you're not going to change them and make them good people just because you're working. for. On the other hand, you can act within your value. I don't want to sound like I'm diminishing the impact of somebody being in your face and treating you badly because it's not, not ever pleasant. It always hurts always doesn't matter how many times it happens and it makes life really difficult. At the same time, the only thing you have a choice about is your response. That is the only thing in life we have choices about what you do, what I do. And so the question is, how do you respond to that person in a way that allows you to live out your values? So they're telling you, do it now and do it fast, but you know that's not possible. And if you value honesty, then you say, okay, I can't do it that way, but here's a way I can do it, right? Um, and not saying it as a barrier, but saying it as a negotiation. If you believe that honesty is important and making the customer happy is important, making that clear, but saying, here's the line. I can't, you know, I, I can't dig a 12 by 12 by 12 hole in 15 minutes. It's not going to happen. Right. And so how, how can you talk about being honest and drawing that line, but in a way that doesn't make the, it, you know, you can't say you're an idiot if you think I can dig a hole that fast, and your attitude can't say that, but you can, say that's not possible here's what is how do we negotiate this i <laughs> i'm just laughing to myself because we've got these guys working on our bathroom and the kinds of negotiations we're doing with them and and they're great and i think we're great you know customers but still they cut the hole in the wall wrong The um they sent the guy the wrong the medicine cabinet he cut the hole wrong and when we pointed it out to him he said oh oh gosh Of course you want it the other way. Let me see what I can do. He did some negotiating. He came back to us and did some negotiating, and we were able to work it out. Now, we could, I I guess, I'm sure that there are customers who would not have, who would have been much more demanding and and frustrated, and the hole for a medicine cabinet is not as big a deal as digging a huge pool. I
0: get that. And we're a service company. We we work with people to serve people. We're just a people dynamic business. And the more we can learn and grow through these change parameters, and the reality is, we're getting people to change. We want to either our internal team to change to become better, or we want our internal team to do something different. Always new lawn, new pool, new way of doing things, new way of gathering information. But then at the same time, we're also asking our customers to change the way they think and believe, and and consulting them on what we know, what they don't know, and. You know, at times that it can just be a constant challenge for us as we walk through our days. So this is always good. So here's a global question. You've been talking to companies and individuals over this past year. You know, what are some themes that you've been seeing? How is this coronavirus and this new way of doing things, this economic anxiety, how is it affecting people? And let's just say, God forbid, you know, there's people on this call where it's profoundly impacted their life. How can you guide us through these next couple weeks and you know, how, how can we make sense of the world we're currently living in? And, and what are some patterns that you've seen through other people you've talked to?
1: I think the most profound thing that I've seen in the last year with the folks we work with and the folks we work for is a realization of the degree of uncertainty we live with every single day. Now, I'm, I think, older than every person on this call. Uh, but at, there was a time when we could pretend like the world was predictable. You could do a five-year strategic plan and pretty much be sure that if you kept working on it, you'd be working on the same thing in five years that you're working on today. You could pretty well be sure that this is the customer we're gonna have. A person that buys a pool is gonna look like this and they're gonna have these expectations and I can carry that out this way. My family should function this way because this is the way I was raised and this is the way I wanna raise my family. That doesn't hold true anymore. We do not live in the same world that we lived in even 10 years ago. And so the only way to, to deal with and move into the world that we live in today is to recognize it's going to be uncertain. And that's the most profound thing that our clients have had to learn to deal with in the last year is that the fact that we have a pandemic, we have the kind of global changes uh, weather-wise and the fires in California and uh, in Colorado and the Northwest, um, economic changes, um, the political and social changes that are happening. These are all any one of those by itself could throw throw kind of throw the world crazy, and it's happening all four things at one time. And it's not just happening in the U.S. Many of these issues are happening all around the world. So we have we have clients around the world, and so it's not like we have one set of challenges to deal with in the U.S. and another set of challenges in the U.K. and another set of challenges in japan it's it's all similar challenges the realization that the way to respond in these in any times of when it's so unpredictable is to be what we to build what we call adaptive capacity the ability to take in what's going on a sense of how do i make decisions around these things and then taking action and then paying really close attention to the impact of that action, and if it's not the impact you wanted, enter that cycle again. And it's a cycle we call adaptive action, and it's seeing what's going on around you, making sense of it, and taking action. And then redoing that again. The impact of that action, make sense of that, take another action. Impact of that action, make make sense of that, take another action. And it's constant cycles of what we call adaptive action. And um, that's the only way to move forward when a system is as complex as it is. And everybody does this, they just don't do it out loud. So uh, think about your drive to work in the mornings or your drive to the, drive anywhere. So you're in your car, you're in traffic, and you're tooling along at speed limit, hopefully. And you look up and you see car lights, red lights in front of you. And you realize that the cars in front of you are stepping on their brakes. You see that. You make sense of it by saying, oh, traffic is slowing down. I better tap my brakes. And you tap your brakes. And then you realize, oh, no, it was just a blip. And you say, okay, I can go fast again. And you go fast again until the next thing you see. That's an adaptive action. That is a cycle of seeing what's going on with the lights, making sense of it, and taking action. And then saying, how did that work? How's that working for you? When we talk with our clients, the the best thing we can help them do is figure out how to take those adaptive actions. And the most critical part, the part that we skip in business and industry, is making sense of what we see. Because we get caught up. I used to work in education for years. And I would sit at tables where we had to make decisions. And it was like, we'd go, what? Now what? What? Now what? What? Now what? And we'd skip that middle step of, uh, so what does this mean? And we just keep re- reacting instead of responding. So how many times each day do you react? And how many times each day do you respond? I uh, yeah. put a piece in and said what do you speak?
0: So often I think we experience significant change, whether it be somebody – leaves our company um, a customer fires us or even we get something new even a positive change and we just keep going we go we just go do it more do more do more keep producing just just do the next thing and we stop we don't tend to stop and say okay so what does this mean that this particular person is no longer with us and and how do we like what are we going to do moving forward who's going to fill that role and what does that look like yeah because if it's not something that
1: we did then then we um agreements become this contract and we have to do it this way this way and and Even our agreements have to be broad enough that we all have wiggle room in them. Among you as a team here, having some conversations about what do your values mean? So if you work in finance, you think about those differently than if you are supervising a team uh, who are working on the ground or Claude as he looks at the whole picture or whatever. So it's really important that you have enough understanding of what's going on and what you want to have happen that you can adapt it for the different roles. So there are some particular ways that we do that. Having a conversation and saying what is it we want here as a group? Now, what does that mean to you or to you so just at home. I don't I don't know your if you have a family or whatever but let's say that you have a spouse and three kids and you want to get some agreements about expectations well, the time to do it is not when somebody has violated your expectations and you're all heightened and angry and um, in, in a defensive mode. But what if you were just to say at a time when things are calm? So we're kind of having some change coming up for us over the Christmas holidays. What, what do we need to do with each other? How do, what kind of expectations do we want to set about that? Who? Like, one what, what agreement that I make sometimes with, in my family is only one of us gets to be crazy at a time. And if it's my turn, I tell everybody it's my turn. I have to be crazy. Y'all can't be crazy. Or I'm fine now. Who needs to be crazy next? <laughs> and it's a way of really acknowledging that we go crazy sometimes without saying, you're crazy. Just calm down. My mother used to say, just calm down. Well, you know, that's not really the best way to get somebody to calm down. But if we have an agreement and we say, oh, you need to be crazy for a minute. Yes, just let me be crazy, right? At work, you may not want to be that informal or that silly about it, but at work, what? how do you talk to each other when things are going tough? How do you acknowledge for each other when things are gonna be different in the next few weeks? How do you acknowledge when one of you is um, crazy? and needs, needs some space because life just gets crazy sometimes. I'm sure that Claude's daughter being ill and having a new baby has, he he wants to be crazy some days because he's there's a lot of pressure. So how does he ask for that space? How do you grant him that space? How do you ask for that kind of space? And when you ask, how does the rest of the team respond? And, and I think that's a question y'all need to kind of resolve for yourselves as a team, and ask each other what those agreements need to be, and really stand in inquiry about it. Um, you know, we have four practices, and, and I'll send these to Claude so you can see them written down. But we talk about being in inquiry with each other, and there are four practices we have. First, we turn judgment into curiosity. So if I'm feeling judgmental about somebody, what what is wrong with you? Why did you make that? Then usually Glenda or somebody can remind me to say, can you turn that to curiosity? And I can go, oh, okay, I wonder what was going on that triggered that for that person. The second one is to turn disagreement into shared exploration. So let's say I am disagreeing with Ashley about something. Rather than coming nose to nose like this, because you don't ever get anywhere that way, if you stand side by side and look out in front of you at what the problem is, You may be able to understand, I can understand what Ashley's needing, she understands what I'm needing, and we're able to come to an agreement. But if we just stand nose to nose, that's all we're going to get is nose to nose, right? So turn conflict or disagreement into shared exploration. The third one is to turn defensiveness into self-reflection. So... I know that things have been crazy for me or I know that I haven't really been living up to it. And my sister says something to me about it and I go all over her. Who are you? You don't know what I'm dealing with. And really what's happening is that her question has triggered my defensiveness. And so what I have to do, I realize that I have to stop and kind of, okay, I need some time. Or just in my own head, I take some time. And I realized that what's happening is that she's pushing a particular button that's hard for me. And I have to figure out how to deal with that button because it's not her job to deal with my buttons. And I deal with those buttons by expressing my needs.
0: That one's particularly hard for me, especially in this season, is yeah. I tend to get defensive because of what I'm personally dealing with when other people put additional expectations on my plate. So that's a good one.
1: And, and for me, it's not looking perfect, not looking skilled. I hate I don't I, apologies if any of you have ever done this job, I hate car sales people because I, I I know what makes a car run but that's about all I know about a car and I really don't care about the rest. I like colors I like styles I like what's comfortable and I don't like to deal with money I don't want to deal with other people about money and so all of that gets triggered when I go to a car sales place and I used to deal with it by becoming very aggressive. And then I realized what was going on and now I just take a deep breath and know that's what's going on and I'm, I'm, I make a better deal for myself because I've calmed down and I can look at that defensiveness and go, okay, that's me, not them. Then the last one is even harder than the defensive one and it is turn your assumptions into question. So I assume that everybody on this call knows what the expectations are about your work or about working together or whatever. And then if somebody doesn't do the way I think they are, then I'm going to turn to judgment, right? Or I'm going to disagree with them, or I'm going to get defensive about the fact that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing anyway, right? And so if you can use these four pieces of agreement, I'm sorry, these four pieces of uh, inquiry, then it, it helps you to think about your decisions and your connections better. So, Mara, one of the things about making agreements is to know if that agreement is coming out of judgment. I want you to do what I want you to do because you're not smart enough to do it yourself or you're not a good enough worker or whatever. Or is it coming out of disagreement? We don't have an agreement. Or is it because I'm feeling defensive that something didn't get done the way I wanted it to get done? Or have I made an assumption? So if you can figure out those four things, which of those is on, then you can change your approach to the decision and step into that negotiation from a new position. Step into that agreement making and invite others into the agreement making from a whole different uh, position. It is harder to do when you've paid thousands of dollars. So there are a couple things. And we deal with this because, you know, you're working with a customer and all of a sudden they say, oh, we really want this and this and this too. It wasn't a part of the original conversation. So, uh, operationally, we build in from the beginning that if the scope of our contract, uh, scope of our work changes, then we will renegotiate contracts. So, we write that in the beginning. You probably have that kind of disclaimer in your contracts anyway. The second thing is, bless your heart for working in customer service, because I think of the abuse I have given to customer service people. There are two things. One <laughs> is, how do you speak into their listening? Because their listening of you is you represent everybody who screwed me over on this call, right? On this job, right? And you're the only voice they have to look at. And if they had a picture of you, it would be even worse because then they'd be going, right? So how do you speak into their listening? And how do you pull them to a place where they can negotiate? Because when people are that riled up, they can't negotiate with you. Their limbic system is kicked in and they are total defensive mode, total aggressive mode, total total assumption mode. So how do you invite them in? And we have a tool that we call uh, uh, Granting and Generating Voice. And the question at that moment is, how do you hear what they're saying, the underlying of what they're saying? Not you're a bad person, you're evil, you're nasty, you're mean. It is what they're really saying to you is I'm so frustrated and I'm disappointed and I want something different. And very often what I get from uh, customer service people is, oh, I'm really sorry that that happened. You know, it's the the cry response, but then they don't do anything to resolve the issue, which tells me they really aren't sorry, you know? So the question is, how, how do you grant them voice? You hear what they're saying And you speak into their listening to say, okay, we need to resolve this. So let me explain to you where we are right now in resolving the issue. And how can we come to some agreements? And you may not be at liberty to change. So what you you can say is that any of you aren't in charge of each other's work. And so none of you can make decisions for the others, right? So the question is, how do you say, you know, I really want to work this out with you. So let me get with whoever's in charge of that place, and say, let me see what, what we can work out. Because I here's where we are. You're unhappy. We're unhappy. And neither one of us wants to be unhappy. So let me see what I can do to find us a common place. I'll call you back in four hours. Or if you don't think you're going to be able to get to Daniel to talk to him until tomorrow, say, I will call you back within 24 hours. And then honor that commitment to say, here's what I've found. Here's what we can do. Here's what we can't do. Right, and negotiate it that way. But always opening a path for them, and speaking into whatever they can hear. So if they're um, if they're frustrated, if if what you're hearing in their voice is frustration, speak to their frustration. If what if they're just angry, if they're being unreasonable, then find a way to speak to them in a reasonable way. You see what I'm saying? Because that is miserable for both of you. I've finally gotten, actually, I've gotten to where I apologize to the person I'm talking to. And I say, you know what? I know this is not your fault, but you work for a system that is totally screwed up. And I'm really sorry that you have to do that. But can we negotiate on this? (laughs) And there are a couple ways that we help organizations deal with that. One is this idea of simple rules. How do you form a, a set of five, maybe fewer, common broad rules that everybody can live by and know that that that's what their realm of the world needs to look like the patterns that you want in that different realm that's one but beyond that there are things that um you know i i work with groups that say well we just got to have better customer i mean employee engagement if they're just more engaged they'll do better but then they think engagement has to do with being on a golf team together or playing frisbee or having a christmas party those things are good but somebody to be engaged in their work a person needs to know what their job is have the skills and resources to do their job but the most critical factor and this is in research is that they understand how their work contributes to the greater whole sitting there in customer service has the better uh, best concept of this but how do the people in finance contribute to the work of the people who are subcontracting to dig the holes and how are they how do how does finance contribute to design how does finance contribute to supervision right how does the how did the design folks contribute to ashley's job how do they contribute to finance and because we don't talk about what those relationships are then people in finance are just doing their thing i have to make this bottom line fit I've got to get the paychecks out on time. I've got to be sure that we have the resources that we need. And design says, i just got to design what the uh, client wants without thinking about the impact on the workers or the impact on timing or the impact on, and they do, they, you think about that, but unless you're having those real conversations, then that, that doesn't necessarily become real. Having, being sure, one, just being sure that people understand how their work contributes to the success of the whole organization is one thing, but also having knowing how their work contributes to the success of all the other groups is critical. So as leaders of those other groups, how do you help your folks see that their work contributes to the success of the organization? And why would they want to do that anyway? Well, they want to do that because that's how they keep a job, right? And so, how do you how do you contribute? Because if you're not contributing to the, the success of the whole thing, the organization may have to go away in these days. It's only, you know, the, the ones who are doing, doing the most of the work that is best fit for the client are the folks who are going to keep the work. And, and as we step into a time when money gets tighter and tighter and tighter, the luxury of having a swimming pool may change. The luxury of having a uh, landscaping may change, although wealth is going up and so that may not be a problem in your organization but if you're not if you're not doing what contributes to the success of the whole thing then the chances of the whole thing being successful are reduced
0: it does It's, it's when does the mission of my department take precedence over the mission of the company and the answer to that question is never the mission of the company and the holistic aspect of what we call serving the customer is always a priority that doesn't matter what department or what team you work in. That's important.
1: The only mission of an individual department should be how do I contribute to the success of the organization? How do I do that most effectively? And it's not just the head of the department that needs to know that and how that works. It's every person in that department. And for the people you subcontract with, they have to know that's your expectation. Sometimes, sometimes we, uh, I suggest that somebody, that you get a nag buddy, um, and it's someone you can rely on. who, When they see you stepping off, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's not, at work, maybe it's somebody that works there in the office with you, and they see you jumping from the what to the now what without taking those five seconds to think about it, make sense of it. They don't, in that moment, say, oh, one, slow down. <laughs> they, after the fact, say, did you notice there that you did this, right? And what can I do to help you remember to do that, to take that five seconds, right? So getting a nag buddy is really good for wherever you are, whether it's at home or at work or in your community coaching softball team. Who can you rely on that can help you work on that? Uh, uh, The other thing is taking five minutes after any of those interactions and ask yourself, where did that go wrong? Where was the chance that I had to take a deep breath and I didn't? And then try that the next time. It's all adaptive actions, right? You're just saying what what works and what didn't work. And if I forget in the instant, then that becomes my what. I forgot to take five minutes. What did that mean? What was going on? What would have helped I love it that you asked that question. It's a great question. And um, it is what making that kind of deep change in yourself is one of the hardest things to do because you can't blame somebody else. (laughs) It's just taking your own responsibility for making that change. So thanks for asking that nag buddy or not the other question is do you accept her as a nag buddy see that's the other question is to a lot of people but if they don't agree to that then I'm just a nag that is an excellent question because you deal at work all day with people who are acting like children sometimes right the customers are having temper tantrums or the people aren't really living up to their job expectations or whatever Um, and that's frustrating then you go home and you have the little kids to do, and, and the partnership with your wife, and all that, um, and and it's pretty much the same piece that I said to Juan, in terms of when do you reflect about your choices, right, and what are you doing to train yourself to take that five second because nobody can take that reflection time for you, nobody can do the so what for you, but you can engage other people in talking about it, So if there's somebody in the office or even an employee who's not doing well, say to that person, here's what I saw happening. Here's what the expectations were. So help me know what happened in the interim. So help me the so what part, right? What happened? What did that mean? What do you need next time? And then here's what I'm going to expect next time, right? So that you're not, and, and that works with kids. You got to talk in simpler language, but it works with kids too, right? Not when they're in the middle of a temper tantrum, not when the tensions are high, but doing it at a time that's, and I don't know how old your kids are, but I remember learning this over and over and over again as my kids got older, right? And they're uh, currently 40 and 37, and I still have to do it. (laughs) have to make those agreements with them, but that's all it is, is learning yourself and learning how how to get that reflection, that inquiry. Was I too judgmental? Was it a disagreement that I didn't try to explore? Did they push my buttons? Did I let my buttons get pushed? And what was I assuming? Does that make sense? And I'm not trying yes. to finish it because it is hard, very hard. And you can't control when it surprises you. The question is how can you respond? How can you define the pattern you want to respond? So you want to respond honoring the customer, but you also want to respond not defending, but holding. The customer to the truth it's not my experience that Ashley lies so let me see what was going on with her when she said that what was she basing her decisions on and either I or Ashley will get back to her see the the fact if you were to say okay I'll get back to you tomorrow about Ashley then that makes you the it's called a drama triangle but it makes you you're you're the savior right and you're going to fix this and Ashley's the meanie and the client is the victim And if you always come in and be the savior, then that leaves Ashley always being the meaning. No, your job is to turn it back and say, Ashley, here's what I'm hearing. Can you get back to this customer and negotiate this? With all these wonderful suggestions Royce made about that, (laughs) right? So as long as you solve all the problems or pretend like you're trying to solve all the problems, Claude, the problems are all gonna keep coming to you. So the question is, how do you help that client see Ashley is a good person? Ashley's going to tell you the truth, but there are limits to what we can do. Now, let me put you back in touch with Ashley, because it's hard. It's really hard to try to um, field everything. You're like the outfielder who has two gloves on and a glove on each foot, and you still can't catch everything because there are too many balls coming at you at once. And so how do you catch one and toss it back to the person who should be handling it rather than it all coming to you? And then how do you have conversations among you about how those things are handled and what they mean? How much authority does anybody have? And this has to be clear. I'm not saying it's right or wrong the way it is, but how much authority do people have to wiggle and in what areas? Because there are some things that finance has set that there are regulations and rules about how money is spent, right? There are regulations and rules about how how a pool gets built. And how do you make decisions and have wiggle room inside of those decisions and that's something y'all have to decide as a team and get really clear about or every time finance says no you can't do that or every time the design team say that's not possible then everybody else just feels shut down oh we're wrong we don't know anything let them handle it right it's not just we can't do that it's why we can't do that how do we negotiate to see if something else is possible or how do we work inside this regulation that we can't change so it really is up to y'all to have an ongoing conversation about the work you do and how do you adapt? Because the days that are coming and coming are not going to be any easier than they are right now, and they may be
0: more difficult. So uh, okay. one of my weaknesses is respecting other people's time. All right, great, Royce. Thank you. Uh, we really appreciate you spending this time with us and you know stepping away from the conversation of production, money, performance, pool, landscape, and stepping into this conversation about human systems is is really, I think, refreshing for me and hopefully for some other people. And hopefully we can continue looking at your uh, website, the HSD Institute, and and try to find some ways to grow as managers and leaders of people, not only in our organizations, but in our homes and in our communities as well. So we love what you do. Uh, We really loved speaking to you this morning, and hopefully we have another chance to do it later down the line. So God bless you and and your sister and in the institute and thank you for sharing your wisdom with our team this morning